Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for meeting with us this morning. God, there's just nothing like when you enter into the room. And in this time, Lord, we just offer up ourselves to you and this message to you. And Lord, I pray that what is of me, Lord, would not come through, but Lord, what you want to say, the true prophetic word that you want to say, Lord, let it be spoken forth, let it be clear, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak where I just don't even have the words. God, that you speak to every individual in their circumstance. And right now, Lord, we offer you our minds, we offer you our hearts, and we just say, have your way. God, we want to be soft and pliable. If that's you right now, just take a moment to just kind of offer yourself up to God. Make yourself like putty in his hands that he can mold and he can shape like clay. And just be like, Lord, I want to be shaped by your word. God, in this time, Lord, I want you to speak to me. And I don't want to be hard-headed or hard-hearted. But Lord, I ask that you would give me ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, today I'm going to talk about this idea of what comes first and looking about really the idea of how, you know, the, I'm going to give the ending away right off the bat that God comes first. You know, it's no secret that we want in our lives God and his house and his kingdom to come first in our lives. And, but to kind of backtrack a little bit, um, as I was preparing to speak uh, this week, um, I felt in my spirit like the Lord wanted to talk about kind of a variety of things, but one of the big uh, sections of what he wanted to talk about was money, finances. And the, the sense, the impression that I got as I was in prayer was that there was a lot of people that are, you know, grappling with money right now, sorting out finances. And if you're like me, um, you know, I, I like, first of all, money and finance like intrigues me in general. So I like try to keep up on a lot of the monetary things that are going on. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where the more you know, the more you can kind of get freaked out and spooked about things right now. And, you know, if you turn on the news for any length of time, if you, you know, if you, if you strike it at the right time, you're going to find yourself hearing about, you know, of course, inflation and, you know, there's talk, talk about the debt ceiling crisis and the idea of our government possibly defaulting in a showdown. And that's just, the, that's just the beginning of it. We're not even talking about the fact that we've had massive banks fail and, and we have governmental leaders who are trying to tell us, hey, don't panic, don't panic, and, and don't panic. Because if you panic, it's, it, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. So, so we're kind of like, you know, when I was in, in college, I took a, a class on economics and I remember what I learned about economics. I, at the time, as probably a 21-year-old, I thought to myself, you know, those, those um, uh, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, like all those cartoon characters, they can run off a cliff. And they can just go, keep going. And as long as they don't know that they're in trouble, they're just going to keep on going. But the minute they look down, that's when the panic sets in. And that's kind of our economy. Our economy for decades has been built off of this idea, don't look down and everything's going to be okay. If you look down and you panic, you could cause a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so, and so 
for a lot of us, there's a lot of unknown. And, and we as normal human beings, one of our high, high values is safety. That safety net of, okay, okay, maybe I need to pull back on some things. Maybe I need to start, you know, is, is, is this bank safe? And I'm not saying this to spook you guys. I'm just saying, like, there are people having these conversations. Is this bank that I'm in a good, a good place? Is this a safe idea? What about regional banks? And you can go on and on. And so as we, as we navigate all this stuff, I felt like God wanted to speak into this. And I do believe that the words that I'm speaking are, yes, they are basic Bible but at the exact same time, I do believe this is a prophetic word. I believe this is a now word. And, and I believe the Lord wants to say, actually, just in, in a way, not a lot, but something simple and powerful to us all. But I believe that this word isn't like just for this week. So if you find yourself feeling anxious a month or two from now, just know that this word still applies, and you can still apply it, and you can still use it to navigate the future ahead of you. Because, quite honestly, I don't, I don't want to get all weird and off track, but I, I mean, probably in 2020, I started having some dreams and encounters with God that started pointing me in a, a direction of the world's finances and things that were going on. And so, I believe... I believe this, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but based off some of the things the Lord has shown me, I have believed for several years that we were heading in a negative direction financially and that uh, it was going to be rough and there was going to be fear and there was going to be panic. And quite honestly, a lot of things the Lord showed me, I didn't even, I, I thought they would look differently than they've already gone, but they've still just followed right on track. And one of the things I believe the Lord told me was that it's not going to be for a long time, but it's going to feel like a long time. I don't know what that means to the God who is eternal, but my point is, is that they're, 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 you know, what we're experiencing is very real, and there's probably some people in the room that would say, Daniel, I'm not really freaked out about finances. I'm trusting in God, and I, and I hope you are. But I feel like the Lord told me there are some people that they think they're not freaked out, but he says, you're actually really freaked out. You're just avoiding it. Think about that for a minute. I, I literally felt like the Lord told me to tell some people, there are people, under the sound of my voice, you are nervous. And the way you handle your fear is you pretend it's not there. And the Lord, I believe, is saying, no, ignoring it and shoving under the rug is not walking in perfect peace. It's not operating in the kingdom. And so, I want, I want to talk to you guys about money and finance and, and probably even some other things as we navigate through it, but I want to go to a passage of scripture found in 1 Samuel. Now, today's uh, scriptures, none of, nothing's going to be on the screen. So if you want to get your Bible out uh, or your, your phone or, or whatever you use, in, uh, your app, and uh, turn to, to 1 Samuel, I'll give you guys a moment because 1 Samuel chapter 1, It's relatively early in the Bible, not super early, but relatively early. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'll just kind of set it up. Um, this is a time when Israel did not have a king. They were ruled by what was called judges. And um, there was a, a guy at this time whose name was Elkanah, and he had two wives, which 
obviously is not a good idea, but that was, that was what they were doing in, their, in that culture, in that day, in that time. And so we're going we're gonna to read about his family and some of the dynamics that happened there. So here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 1, picking it up in verse 2. And he, that's Elkanah, had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the, his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, so Eli was kind of like the, the priest there, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord and were there. Verse 4, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely, to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Now we're going to continue reading in this story, and what I, I just want you to see is Hannah had lack. Hannah lacked something. She lacked a child. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant, a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sat. Verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. 
So what I want you to see here and kind of, kind of go full circle in some of the story. This was a very dark time in Israel's history because what we'll soon find out later if you keep reading it is that Eli is not really doing a very good job. And his sons are doing an even worse job as they are priests for the Lord, but they're very corrupt and very crooked. And out of this place of sin, the voice of the Lord had grown quiet in the land. And God, so to speak, had lack. God had a need for a world changer. God had need of a prophet. God had need of a man of God who would fear him, obey him, and speak for him to become a leader and turn the nation around. And at the exact same time that God was looking for someone to be righteous and to stand in the gap, there was another woman who was experiencing lack in her life. And in their day and age, that, for a woman to be able to bear a son was everything. That was what they found their identity in. That's what they found their meaning and their purpose in that day and age. So in, that, in, her, in her mindset, she is being tormented by, so to speak, the other wife. And out of that place of lack, out of that place of torment, she cries out to God. And in that place of crying out to God, she kind of cuts a deal with him, which is kind of an interesting thing. Like, God, I'll cut you a deal. <laughs> if you give me a boy, I'll give him back to you. And the Lord took her up on it, which is an interesting thing because we oftentimes talk like, God doesn't deal. You don't negotiate with God. God gets to be God, and you have to do what he says. But in this instance, God's like, I accept. I accept this. And so what begins to happen then is she conceives, she has a son, she's excited, she's happy, and she is going to be a person who keeps her word. And so she weans the child, and so we know most likely that she, she brought this child to God's house when this boy was probably two, most likely, I would assume, three. But this little, you know, probably toddler has been given to back to God. God, if you give it to me, I will give back to you. And this child runs around in God's house, learning under Eli how to do all the things that the priests and the Levites would do. And she takes what she receives, and she gives it back to God. And when she gives it back to God, the Lord blesses her some more to the point where she had three sons and two daughters. And so I want you to see this. She could not conceive. She conceives. She gives it to God. When she gives it to God, it opens the door for further blessing so that, so that she has more children. And so I, I want to just kind of you know, share with you what I feel like the Lord was speaking to me this week. This is kind of the, 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 the nucleus of everything that we're talking about today, is the Lord, I believe, spoke to me and said, Daniel, what you offer to me, I can bless. What you keep from me, I cannot bless. That's, that's the big idea. The temptation when times are tough 
is to hoard and to cling. You know, we laugh about all our toilet paper stories, but how many of you guys would say you have at least two big old packages of Costco toilet paper in your house just in case? <laughs> Some people aren't saying anything. They're like, I've been to people's houses and they've seen the piles, the post-COVID piles. They're still around just in case, you know? Got a generator and toilet paper and whatever else we need, but, but the temptation as people is us, for us to cling to what we have and for us to cling to what God gives us. But the big idea is that whatever it is, and this does not just apply to money, because when I, when I received this word, it was it actually I don't think was really in the context of money. I feel like the Lord was speaking to me like, whatever is offered to me, I can bless. You, you have a talent somewhere? Maybe you have a talent for, you know, I don't know, fixing things. Well, if you offer your talent to God, then he can bless it. If you, if you have a gift in your life, of, you know, maybe, you know, being good with people and you're just really, you know, whatever it is, your job, your family, your circumstances, if you will take what you have, what God gives you, what's already in your possession, and if you will offer it unto the Lord as an act of worship, as a sacrifice, then whatever you put in his hands, he can bless. And when he blesses it, he will multiply it. Blessing is a word that we throw around a lot, but how do you define blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, I'm not even going to do it justice, but when I think of blessing, it's when God in heaven got your back and things just start going your way and things just start working out. When doors start opening and things start coming together and resources start coming together, it's when you have the flow of heaven at your back and you are not working harder, you're not even working smarter. You just have grace in your life to do what you cannot do on your own. And the Lord is bringing us into a place, in some cases even lack, so we will realize where our real source is. Our real source is not in us, it is not in our job, it is not in uh, the people around us that maybe help us out financially. Our source and our root comes from God. So when we experience lack, the Lord is, I believe, wanting to recalibrate the way we think. Because so oftentimes, what we do is we look at our limited resource and we tell God, I don't have enough. And God says, well, give me what you do have. God, I don't, I, 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 there's no way. God, you called me to this. Well, I can never do this. Because look, look at all that's wrong with me. I, I'm not very smart, and I'm not very talented, and I'm not very tall, and I, you know, I'm not as good-looking as so-and-so, and I don't have this college education. And we can give all, God all the reasons what we lack, and God says, what you put into my hands as an offering unto me, I can bless it. And if I can bless it, don't limit what I can do. And so when the Lord spoke this to me, the, the first thought that immediately came into my mind, like it did for probably some of you, is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people, I would guesstimate probably at least 15,000 
people were probably there at the time. It said 5,000 men, but I'm guessing there was more than just adult men there. And so they got thousands of people. They don't have the resources. They don't have what they need. And Jesus' disciples are like, Jesus, you got to send them away. You know, the nearest safe way is an hour and a half away, and you better get them, get them going before it gets dark. And Jesus is like, no, we don't need to send them to Safeway. You feed them. Jesus, you're asking me to do what I cannot do. And Jesus says, absolutely. Well, there's, we, we don't have enough money. We have like three months worth of wages, and that would not feed all these people, even if we pull together our resources. And Jesus is like, well, look around and tell me what you got. And they look around and they find this kid's lunch, you know. And I'm, I am hoping... I'm really hoping that these disciples did not just rip it out of the kid's hands and steal his lunch. I, don't, I cannot picture Jesus endorsing that. I'm guessing that kid did it freely. I mean, which is pretty impressive because the kid was a step ahead of everybody else. And the kid gives, you know, the five loaves of bread and the two fish, and they give it to Jesus, and they're like, whoop-de-doo, this is what we got, Lord. See, don't you understand the problem? And Jesus is like, all right, now... I'm going to bless it. I'm going to thank God for it. Because when you thank God for it, you sanctify it. When you, when you, whatever you thank God for, it brings a blessing on it. It's a very profound thought, but I'm not going to take that rabbit trail. We're going to stay on point. Jesus thanks the Father. That's how he blesses it. What he thanks He thanks the Father for not enough. Just giving you time. You're welcome. God, this is all I have. Thanks. (laughs) Have you ever been in those situations where you didn't want to, you feel more like complaining? God, this is is not going to do it. But Jesus understands a whole new way of thinking. And God is creating an army on the earth of people who walk by faith and not by sight. A people who don't think in lack, but they think abundance. A people who, 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 there's a faith level that I am not limited by my resources. I am not limited by all these circumstances. I can be in the middle of a desert and God will provide. I, I, I was remembering here recently the story where Moses was in the wilderness and and God talked about providing meat in the desert. And Moses is like, God, how in the world are you going to feed all of these people? Like, how is this even possible? If we killed all our animals, we couldn't even feed all these people. And God says to Moses, Moses says, my arm lost its power. Have I, have I you know, like, did you forget the Red Sea? Did you forget? And Moses is like, I cannot. My brain is so limited right now. I cannot picture all of these people eating meat tonight. And God's like, I can do it. Because God does not think like we think. Because when we think we're the source, where do we turn? We turn inward and we're like, well, that ain't going to get us anywhere. And then if we look to other people, like, here, give me money. Give me money. And they're like, I'm not your source. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I got a little bit, little bit of change, but that, I can't be your Jesus. And so we have to, to think differently, to turn to the Lord, and then we have to offer it to him. And if he will bless it, he can multiply it. And Jesus began to hand it to his disciples. I'm giving, I am the source. 
Now, because I am the source, you disciples have now become a resource. Think about that. We, as Christians, in this coming season, are not the source, but you will be, if you partner in alignment with the source, you will become a resource. That is important. That is important. Because what Jesus gives to you, you then walk around and you begin to distribute as he guides you. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They distributed what was given to them, and out of their lack came an abundance. And there was enough for everybody else to have it. So, so we're looking at, at this idea of what we put in God's hands, he will bless. And I want to encourage you not just to think about it in terms of money. But I want to turn to a simple passage of scripture found in the book of Romans. That's in the New Testament. And I want to look at verse, uh, chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I only want to read one verse. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church of Rome. And he says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if you don't understand, I don't blame you because we're modern day Americans and we don't really think like a Jew. But I want to, I wanna, I, uh, this is what, I do not know Greek, but I wrote down what they said it means in Greek. So here we go. This is what it says in the Greek. If the first portion of the dough is consecrated, so too is the entire batch of dough. So if the first portion of the dough is consecrated, you're like, wow, it's a big fancy word. Yes, it is. Don't you think I'm smart right now? No. no. Consecrated is a term. He doesn't agree. He's like, no, not even, not even. So consecrated has to do, if you think about it from the Old Testament mindset, they had altars where they would put a sacrifice on the altar. So you would put a bull or a sheep or whatever on the altar, you would kill it, and that would be your act of worship to God. Because in their day, bulls were wealth. Sheep were income. So, so an animal was very important to you. So when you offered up an animal, or in, in some cases they would offer up like grain or different kinds of things like that, what he's saying is what you consecrate is essentially what you put on the altar. So what you have, if you take the first portion of it, and you lay it on the altar, and you burn that thing, and it becomes an act of worship to God, that, that little amount that you gave, that portion, was consecrated. It was given to God. It becomes holy. When that becomes holy, it becomes blessed, and what you, what's left of it is now made holy. So what we consecrate what we give to God as a sacrifice, as an act of worship, makes our offering holy. It brings a blessing because we're putting it in his hands. Is this making sense? Okay, so, so he's saying here, when you do that, it makes 
what you didn't give holy to. It makes the rest of it set apart. It makes the rest of it blessed. You guys tracking me? Okay. So, so what I want you to see as we walk through this, and I'm going to do a very quick little, you know, this is not going to be exhaustive, but when you begin to see this principle loaded throughout the scripture, you begin to see this idea that what is given to God is first, not the leftovers. You don't go and say, you know what, this is my act of worship, I'm going to give God a little piece of this, a little piece of that. No, no, God is essentially saying, what is first belongs to me, as in belongs to God. So, when you think about the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt, they're slaves, and, you know, hopefully you've heard the story, have some grid for Moses. Moses, you know, you know God sends Moses to, to deliver the people of Israel. They are in Egypt. They are slaves, and God is about to set them free. And one of the ways God does it is he sends plague after plague after plague until there's a final plague. The final plague is the plague of the firstborn. God says, tonight, every firstborn son will die. Unless you take a lamb, kill it, take the blood of that lamb, and you wipe it on the frame of your door. The angel is going to go by the house, he's going to see the blood, and he's going to know he's covered. But everybody who's not covered by that blood, the firstborn will die. And so, I think for a lot of people, you'd be like, wow, that sure seems not very nice. What gives God the right to kill the firstborn? Well, the answer is, is the firstborn belongs to him. Whatever comes first belongs to God. So when God kills the firstborn, he was essentially taking what was his. In fact, in the Jewish culture, when the firstborn male was born in years following, the firstborn belonged to God, but they had to be redeemed. How could they be redeemed? Well, they'd have to sacrifice an animal in its place. Okay, it's really quiet. Am I losing you guys? Did you fall off the train? All right. So the firstborn male, that's why we see the story of Jesus when he was taken to be dedicated. They killed, uh, was it pigeons or was it doves? It was birds. I know it was birds. His parents were poor. They killed birds in his place. And they said, These, Jesus is not going to die. These birds will take his place. And so you see this all throughout the Old Testament. They get a, a lamb, that firstborn lamb. That belonged to God. We took it to God's house. We offered it to God as a sacrifice. And now it belongs to God. We had a bull. It was the firstborn bull. That bull does not belong to me. That bull is not mine to keep. If I keep that bull, I'm a thief. I am robbing God. I take the bull... I bring it to the altar, I kill it, I consecrate it, I offer it up to God as an act of worship. And now, everything going back to the mother, so to speak, becomes blessed. And now, I've got a bull factory 
Because I've offered to God what was his. And when I give to God what is rightfully his, he says, all right, now we're in business together. And I will bless you, and all of heaven is going to be working for you. So that is one example, the law of the firstborn. Now the next one is the tithe. Now, I don't like talking about tithing for a lot of reasons, but there is a truth to this. Now, in my hand are 10 $1 bills. Now, the tithe, which is found in Scripture, essentially means 10%. So, help me in math class. I've got 10 $1 bills. What's tithe? $1. Look at you. Math majors right here. So, 10% of $10 is $1, right? Did I say that right? I think I did. All right. So, now let me ask you the question. One of these dollars gets to be the tithe. Which one is the tithe? The first one. Right. So, so when I, so just for my own example, when I get money given to me, whether it's a paycheck or someone gives me money, that money does not get touched until it gets tithed. Because I want God's blessing on my life, and I know that he always comes first. So if I have money, I'll set it on my dresser, and I will not spend a penny of that until God's house comes first. And so I will tithe it, and I will give it to God, and then once I have given God his share, he lets me keep the rest, and the rest is blessed. You can go further. I am not joking. You can go further with $9 and God's blessing than $10 kept for yourself. You, you want this. This is, I am not, I don't like talking about these things. First of all, I don't believe in the law. But second of all, I, I, I never want people to feel like I'm trying to talk them into giving me money or the church money. But I am doing this for your own good. And so I want to go on to another one, the, the law of first fruits. This is also found in the Old Testament, mentioned many times in the New, in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament times, they would, they would have what's called the law of first fruits, which was the beginning of the harvest. So they would go, they would plant their seed, and you know, I don't know how their, how their weather patterns are, but generally speaking, they have their wet season or whatever, and things start popping up and things start growing. They don't take the, be- the beginning of their harvest crop and start harvesting it and keep it for themselves. They take the first batch of whatever it is. I don't know what they harvest. We'll say grapes. They harvest the grapes or whatever. They bring that to God. They offer that to God, and they do not harvest the crop until after they give God the first fruits. Is this making sense? All right. You tracking me? All right. Another story. I love, I, I love this story. I, I could preach a whole sermon on this. Jericho and AI. Now, many of you guys are probably familiar with the, uh, with the battle Jericho or whatever, where they march around the city over and over, and they blow the horns, and the walls fall down. It's like the best kid's story, you know, one of the best, you know. And so the people of Israel, under Joshua's leadership, they are about to um, go into Jericho and conquer it and all that sort of thing. Now, they are given instructions by God. Listen, you do not take anything, no, no plunder. 
You do not take any pleasure. No, you've got to remember, this is their first battle. Everybody say first. Okay, let's, let's do it all together. First. Okay, good enough. Good enough, sorry. That, that was probably my bad too. Like, we should have like a countdown or something, but we're running out of time. All right, so. <laughs> some people are just a little bit behind. They're on Israeli time. You've been across the world. <laughs> he's been in Israel, what, the last two weeks? So he's, he's catching up to us. So, so, so they go on their first battle, and their first battle, God says, you do not touch the gold, you do not touch the silver, it's cursed. You take the gold, you take the silver, you collect it, and you bring it to my house, and you put it in my treasury. Because it belongs to God, right? So, so, what happens is the people go and they win the battle in Jericho. They're all happy. Life is good. Everybody's happy. And there's this one dude named Achan, which this is why nobody names their kid Achan because it just, you know, it just sounds like a bad idea. So anyways, so Achan goes and steals the gold and the silver and he buries it under his tent and he keeps it for himself. So he's got gold and silver. So Israel goes into their second battle and they go against a, a place called Ai. They go into Ai and get their butts kicked, and really they should have won easily, but they got their butts kicked. Joshua falls before God. Oh, Lord, why are we here? Oh, we failed you. What are we doing wrong? And he just, he's, just a, he's just a puddle on the ground. And God's like, get up. Israel has taken what belongs to me. So they go and they do... They cast lots to find out who it is, and they bring Achan to the front. It's, all right, Achan, what did you do? He's like, well, I stole, I took gold, I took silver, I wanted it. It looked really nice. And so they, they killed Achan. They're like, you know what? A lot of people died because of your disobedience. So they killed Achan. They killed him. And then they went out, and they fought in the battle of Ai, and they won the war. They won the battle. And this time God says, I want, you guys can have all the plunder. Take all the gold you want. Take all the silver you want. You just be blessed. So the question is, is why the first go-ahead did God say, nope, you can't touch it, it's mine. The second war, he says, you help yourselves. Take all you want. Live large. The answer is because, number one, what is first belongs to God. After that, it becomes holy and blessed and belongs to God can be given to us. But I do think that one of the big ideas is, you know, I don't think God really needs bulls, gold, silver, grain, you name it. Why would God, in all of his wisdom, make sure that in all these circumstances, we give first to him? Is it because he needs it? I think it has more to do with our mindset and the condition of our heart. God knows what these things do and what will come out of us and how it's a purification of motives. It's a purification of our hearts. When we offer to God what is his, it's saying, God, I trust you. God, I will pay you before I pay my bills. God, I will give back to you before I go to the grocery store. God, I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to put this in 
your hands. I want to go to one final passage of Scripture. I want to go back to 1 Samuel. And I want to go to chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan, or kettle, or cauldron, or pot, And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, "Give Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. So you can tell these guys like their steak really rare. And if the man... And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So what's happening here in this story is Eli's two sons are priests in God's house. And these are very wicked, very corrupt people. Um, They were doing a variety of things wrong. But in this particular passage, what we see here is that people would come and they would bring an offering to God. It was their way of worshiping God. It was an act of sacrifice. It was an act of, sometimes it was a sin offering. Sometimes it was just an act of worship. But they're coming and they're bringing these animals and these different offerings. And the way God worked it was that the priests would actually, after they did all of their worship, there were certain portions of the food or the meat that was given to the priests. That was the way God wanted it to be because the priests didn't have time to go and work in the field, so to speak, and to do a lot of things that the other people were doing to do business. So when they brought their tithe in, there were a couple of parts, and I think... I think the shoulder and maybe the breast, there were a couple parts of the animal that were set apart, and the Lord said, that's for the priest. The priest can eat that. And so the priest would, would, would normally eat that, but these guys were saying, hey, we don't, we're not content with what God gives us. We want the steak before it's boiled. We want the fat. And if you know anything about the Old Testament law, you know that the fat belongs to the Lord. The fat is never to be consumed by the priests. It is supposed to be set apart as holy unto God. And so essentially what these priests were doing is they were not content with what God gave them, and so they began to steal what belonged to God because they did not fear God. And so I want to encourage you. I, I, I I I didn't really want to talk about this, but I'm just going to say it because I think I'm supposed to. I want to encourage all of us here today to not rob God of what is his. What belongs to God is first. And if you lack 
Don't feel like, oh no, I must have done something wrong. But like Hannah, come back before the Lord in your place of lack. And I'm not saying cut a deal with him, but I am saying have that spirit of God, whatever you want, I'm giving it back to you. God, this job, I'm giving it back to you. This car, I'm giving it back to you. This relationship, I'm giving it back to you. These finances, I'm giving it back to you. Let there be no place in your life that God is not first. Because if God comes first, it is going to bring holiness and blessing to your life. And I've had so many people over the years tell me story after story about how God came through for them when they just, they didn't have enough, but then they put God first, and when they put God first, God took care of them. And that's the way it's going to be, and that's what God's going to do. You guys want to stand up? And if I could have the prayer team come to the front. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal, but I just want to encourage you, uh, If you would like prayer, uh, come and get it. We'll have some people up here in just a moment. And when the service is over, you can go right up to them. It can be about the sermon. It can be about something else. But if you would like them to pray for you, they love to do that. Also, if you're here and you're like, you know what? I would like to give my life to Jesus. If you, maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you kind of walked away, then I believe the Lord is saying to you today, now is the time to get right with me. Now is the time to get right with God. So if you have not given your life to Jesus, come up here and tell them, hey, I want to I wanna either recommit, come back, or if you're like, you know what, I don't even understand this, but how do I get saved? Come to them, and they will instruct you and pray with you, and it'll be good stuff. So I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, and that your word is truth, and your word is powerful. And Lord, we offer up our lives to you. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search all of our hearts and that you would shine your light if there's any area in our hearts or our minds or our lives where you are not first. God, I pray that you would shine your light on that and that you would give us grace to let it go. And if there's anything right now that you need to let go of, you know what it is. Now is the time just to, you and God right there, just offer it up to him. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it is literal money. Whatever it is, just take a moment between you and God and get it right. Offer to God what belongs to him. That includes our whole selves. Lord Jesus, we bless you and we thank you. I do pray for your protection over every person here and your blessing on those watching online. God, I pray that your gracious hand would lift up your people. I do pray for provision. I pray for ideas, for many people to get better jobs. I pray for raises. And God, for those that lack, we just agree. Lord, we ask that you give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.